Hi, thanks for joining us. This is Pastor Phil here and welcome to Cow Plain Church. We're so pleased that you've tuned in to listen to one of our weekly sermons. Uh, you can follow along with the message by downloading an outline which can be found at cowplainchurch.co.uk and if you click through you'll find where it is on the website. And we just love the fact that you're joining us. And we exist as a church uh, to change people's lives by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we are a church for all people of all ages, transforming lives for Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope that you come and join us one Sunday too. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, do pull out your message outline. You will find it helpful as uh, we begin a new series of messages called Living on a Prayer. And uh, what we're going to do over the, uh, the next eight weeks or so, we're going to look at the seven different phrases in the Lord's Prayer. Because in that simple prayer are contained everything you need to live your life. But what I want to do this morning, I, I want to I build a foundation. And, and I want to look at simply how we should pray. And Jesus has some surprising things to say about that. You see, one day while Jesus was praying, his inner circles of disciples were watching and they were listening to him pray. Not for the first time, but on this occasion, one of them finally mustered up the courage to ask what they'd all been wanting to ask for quite some time. And so when Jesus had finished praying, one of them approached him on behalf of the whole group and said in Luke 11 verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And after watching and listening to him pray, they concluded that maybe they'd been doing it wrong. That, that they'd been praying the wrong way. Maybe the whole of their lives they'd been praying the wrong way. You see, they'd been brought up uh, praying portions of the Psalms, combinations of some Old Testament writings, and, and they'd been taught to pray by their fathers and their mothers and, and their religious leaders. So, in very likely, they were actually still praying the way they had been taught to pray as children reciting memorised prayers. And then Jesus came along and, well, if he was praying correctly, I mean, if that's the way it was done, they had a lot to learn. And for reasons we will never know, Jesus actually waited to be asked, and eventually they asked and they said, Lord, we need you. We need you to teach us how to pray. We want to pray the way that you pray. Now, I imagine this is something you've never asked anyone to teach you how to do. In fact, if someone after hearing you pray suggested that you should go learn how to pray because you weren't doing it right, well, you'd be offended, wouldn't you? I mean, hey, um, you know, someone says to you, hey, look, you, you, you know that prayer you prayed before dinner uh, the other night? Well, that's not the way that you do it. I need to sit you down and I need to teach you how to pray. And on that very point, maybe Jesus is going to tell us something about prayer that, that might offend you. But that won't, you won't be upset with Jesus. You'll be upset with me, probably, because I'll be the one telling you all that. But according to Jesus, you aren't actually praying correctly. So get ready, because Jesus is about to school all of us on prayer. But we should actually be happy about that. You should be happy about that, because let's be really honest for a moment. Very few of our prayers are ever, re they ever really get answered anyway. Is that right? 
Uh, unless we count the prayers about the things that you probably are probably going to happen anyway. So um, turns out that your keys were exactly where you left them. Um, turns out that you did in fact find a parking space, but so did several other hundred non-prayers find a parking space as well. So... You see, when it comes to those other kinds of prayers, if you ever pray for what you might consider a miracle, something big, something if God doesn't come through, it just won't come true, well, occasionally you get a yes. But sometimes, let's be really honest this morning, you get nothing. And perhaps it was a series of nothings that convinced you that there's nothing to prayer, that it's actually a waste of time, that prayer, well, it just doesn't seem to work. And as we're about to discover, you're right. That kind of prayer, well, it just doesn't work. And as we're about to discover, uh, the kind of prayers in which most of us pray don't work, not least... Not in the way that we want it to anyway. But in spite of that, Jesus prayed. And in fact, he taught his disciples, his followers, us, if we're believers in Christ, he teaches us to pray. He encourages us to pray. And most of us will continue to pray regardless of the outcome. In some ways, it just seems to be automatic. So Jesus' first century followers, they grew up praying, but after watching Jesus, they realised that there was something very different about his prayers. It was like, it was like there was something going on between him and God that, that they weren't accustomed to. It, it wasn't just different, it was intimate. It was less scripted, there was more passion and intensity. In fact, it was compelling. So they finally said, Lord... Teach us to pray. To which Jesus may well have thought, well, I thought you would never ask. And then in typical Jesus style, instead of teaching them how to pray, he tells them how not to pray. Now, if you're not a religious person or or not a fan of Christians or Christianity, you're going to love this next part. In fact, it may be another reason why you should at least consider becoming a Jesus follower because Jesus begins by pointing out the hypocrisy of so many people who pray the wrong way. In fact, here's how he begins his lesson on how to pray. He says, Matthew 6 verse 5, And when you pray, and here's the don't do, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And this is the part about Jesus that you have to love. Because he had no tolerance for pretenders. Do not pretend, is what he says. He had no tolerance for pretension. People who thought that they were better than others. And the reason he didn't is because Jesus knew men's hearts. He knew what was in there. In fact, he knew that they were not better than the people around them. In fact... They were often worse because they were hiding stuff. They were hiding behind their elevated position in their their pretension. Besides, he says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. In other words, God won't reward them because God isn't moved or impressed with the perfect scripted public prayers of inauthentic people. They wanted attention and they got it from all the people watching, but not from God. 
Their reward was the attention they received from the people who saw them pray and were impressed by their so-called amazing prayers. And then Jesus continues, verse 6, but when you pray, and this raises several questions, when do you pray and why do you pray? And as we're going to find out in a minute, this is an important question, where do you pray? See, these were the questions Jesus was actually interested in, and his disciples knew the answer to those questions as well, but Jesus' answers were going to be different from their answers to those same questions. And as it turns out, God had not answered their prayers either. In fact, God had not answered their parents' prayers. Just like us, they prayed the same prayers over and over and over, and in many cases, they generally got no response. So maybe they were doing it wrong. Now, the religious leaders, they had a completely different take on why God didn't answer their prayers. They assured the people that God does answer prayer, but God can't hear your prayers because you're not holy enough. You're not obedient enough. It was their fault that God didn't answer their prayers. And perhaps, perhaps somebody has told you that. Perhaps somebody has told you the same thing or some version of the same thing. Maybe somebody at some point said, well, you need more faith and less sin. And before long, God was reduced to basically the equivalent of a cash machine. You know, you found yourself scrambling to find the correct pin number to get from God what you wanted. But then, at the same time, you looked around and there were a whole lot of people who weren't praying anything and, well, they were doing just fine. Life seemed just to be working out for them quite nicely. So back to Jesus. But when you pray, he says, and this is so interesting, go into your room. Now again, if I were to suggest to you that you can't pray while you're driving to work and walking the dog or sitting on the bus, you may respond, well, who are you to tell me where I can pray? Or you may say, because of your religious tradition, well, hey, look, the, the way that I was raised, I, I really feel I can pray correctly. In fact, it's the only time I feel that I'm really praying correctly. Uh, it's uh, is the only time I feel I can really connect with God is when I'm actually in church. When I'm in church, that's when I really feel that that's where prayer is, is, is it for me. But Jesus is saying, pray in secret. So I want you to hear these words coming not from my lips, but from the lips of Jesus, because he's telling us something very, very important here. Something I think we, like his first century audience, may well have missed. Here's what he said. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Close the door. Why? Isolate myself? Why in my room, not at church, not in traffic, not just before a meal? Why is that even necessary? I thought we could pray wherever we wanted to pray, anywhere we wanted to pray. And then later on he tells us why it's so important for you to find a place and to find a time and to isolate yourself from everything and everybody else around you. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Now, this is where I would like to step out of the way and let Jesus come in and elaborate on what he said here. 
but he doesn't really need to because, well, his words are, are extraordinarily clear. Jesus instructs us to pray to God, our unseen Father. Jesus instructs us to pray to God, not him, not his mum, not the saints. Jesus instructs us to address our prayers directly to God. But he's even more specific than that. Jesus instructed them, he instructs us to address our unseen God, listen, in relational terms. He says, I want you to pray to your Father who is unseen, our Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven. And again, maybe it was his casual, conversational, relational approach to prayer that had caught their attention to begin with. Gentlemen, he was saying, look, I want you to find a place where you can have a private conversation with your Heavenly Father. I want you to find a place where you can say what needs to be said in whatever tone you need to use, whatever words you feel are appropriate. I want you to pray in private so that you're not distracted. I want you to pray in private so that you can pour out your heart. And then, your father, your father who sees what is done in secret, and this is amazing because according to Jesus, God sees you praying alone with the door closed, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And there's that word again, reward. Secret prayer, according to Jesus, is rewarded. Now, remember at the beginning, the religious folks who prayed publicly, what was their reward? Well, they were seen by the public. But those who pray in secret, what is their reward? What is our reward? We are seen by our Father in heaven. What if that's true? What if God sees you pray? What if you knew with certainty God saw and heard your prayers? What would you pray if you were absolutely confident that God sees you when you're praying and he hears your prayers? That's what Jesus says. And then Jesus gives us another not to, but he shifts his attention away from the religious leaders to the Romans and their pagan priests. Because he says... Do not babble. Do not babble, he says. In fact, here's something else not to do when you pray. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. He says, look, don't say the same thing over and over and over. Repetition doesn't move God. Their style doesn't impress God. He's not looking for the right word or even the right words. In fact, on another occasion, Jesus makes this point through a very interesting parable. It was directed at some of the professional prayers that he had mentioned earlier, men specifically who were confident in their own righteousness and pretty much looked down on everybody else. So here's what he said in the parable. It's found in Luke 18. He said this in verses 10 and 11. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
Now, the Pharisee's prayer was eloquent, but it was pretty much all about him, wasn't it? He kept reminding God how good he was. But the tax collector's prayer was very different. In fact, it's interesting. When Jesus said the tax collector went up to pray, because everyone in Jesus' audience would assume that God wouldn't even hear the prayer of a tax collector, that God would ignore the prayer of a tax collector. But here's what he said, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. That is, he stood up against the wall. He stood as far away as he could from the Holy of Holies there at the Temple Mount. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, that's not really an Academy Award winning prayer performance, really, is it? Have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen. But Jesus in the parable gives the tax collector two thumbs up. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Basically, he was saying, folks, that, that's what I'm talking about. But they're like, really? Have mercy on me, a sinner? Is that even a prayer? Now, I don't know about you, but in, in my experience, the people whose prayers I found to be most impressive, usually long and loud and dramatic, they often live less than impressive lives behind the scenes. So if you hesitate to pray because you don't know what to say, this should be comforting for you. What you say when you pray is far less consequential than if you pray. Now, if we come back to Jesus, back to the passage, he says, verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And then he says this, verse 8, do not be like them. People who equate length with merit. And then he says something really interesting, for. Now, now what Jesus says next actually explains why we don't need a lot of words and the correct words. In fact, what Jesus says next kind of pulls the rug from underneath why most of us even pray. And I think he did this on purpose. He said, the reason you don't need to go on and on and on in your prayers is because, look, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Jesus. Um, um, what did you say? Just, just wait a minute. Um, he already knows. Yeah, yeah, he, he already knows. Well, if he already knows, then what's the next question, next question that comes out of our mouth? If he already knows, then why ask? Or why pray? Have you ever wondered about that? I, I think that's exactly the question that Jesus wanted them to ask here. I think he's got them right where he wants them. He's got us right where he wants us. He's got them right where he wants them. He, this is the question he wants us to look up and ask. Well, if God already knows me, and if God knows what I need, why in the world should I even pray? It's why the disciples wanted to be taught. Because, you see, Jesus prayed so differently from them. <coughs> But we shouldn't be surprised that God already knows what we need, right? I mean, I mean, if God is God, if God is omniscient, then shouldn't he know? 
I mean, if you have to inform God, is that really even God? And then this brings us to the tension that Jesus wants us to address. You want to know how to pray? Here's how not to pray. Because now we're confronted with the issue that many of us wrestle with when it comes to prayer. Because many of us, if we are honest, many of us have reduced prayer to informing God about our needs, our wants and our wishes, or about the needs, wants and wishes of other people, people that we care about, but, but, but mostly ours. But if God already knows, then why tell him? If God already knows, why inform him? If God already knows, why pray? But again, Jesus prayed, and Jesus encouraged his followers to pray. What's going on here? What are we missing? And I think it's at this point in the dialogue that the disciples stand back and realise, okay, we were right, we've not been doing this correctly, we, we haven't been praying for the right reason. Perhaps that's why God doesn't answer our prayers. I mean, he certainly had their attention. I think he probably has ours. Maybe you've been doing it wrong. Maybe that's why you quit doing it at all. And if you are still offended by the suggestion that perhaps you don't pray correctly, then you're exactly where Jesus wants you. He's pretty much telling everybody in his audience and probably most of us that we don't know what we are doing when we pray. So they're listening. They're watching. Nobody in Jesus' audience moves. And, and here's why they don't say anything. They don't interrupt him because they've been around Jesus long enough to know that he may actually teach them how to pray. He may actually resolve this tension. He's just deconstructed their entire prayer paradigm. And sometimes Jesus would leave the question in the air and then he'd just walk off. But fortunately for them, and I think fortunately for us, he speaks directly into the tension that he's created. Verse 9, he says, This then is how you should pray. You ask for it, guys. Here it is. Our Father in heaven. Not dear Jesus, your heavenly Father your perfect heavenly father. That's what he says. Now this raises a really important question. Does that mean that God is male? Does that, this mean that God is masculine? What about heavenly mother? What about heavenly being? What about heavenly deity? And you know what? Those are valid questions. In fact, Jesus himself says that God is not a person. Jesus on another occasion says that the God is actually spirit. And John, who knew Jesus intimately, said, no, no, God is love. But when we pray, and I think this is so important, and I really don't want you to get hung up over the terminology, because Jesus is telling us something so, so important here. Jesus is inviting us into something more intimate than spirit or concept or being or deity or even ruler or judge. He's inviting us into something relational, personal, non-formulaic. In fact, Peter, who knew Jesus intimately, who was there, he was part of this conversation. I mean, maybe he's even the one who asked the question. I mean, you could imagine Peter asking, couldn't you? Later, Peter would write, cast your cares on him, him being God. Cast your cares on him, knowing he cares for you. 
it was intimate, it was personal, it was relational. And Jesus, I think, is accommodating to our capacity. So he says, look, the best way for mere mortals to approach, understand and relate to an otherwise incomprehensible God whose image you bear, but whose ways are oftentimes not your ways. The best way to approach, approach God is to approach him as a perfect father. Now, for some of us, that's not a problem at all. For me, that's not a problem. I am a father, and I was raised by a really, really good father. For me, it's the perfect picture. But your experiences may be very different. In fact, your experience may make this imagery or this terminology as God as Father challenging. But here's some good news. Your Heavenly Father knows that. Your Heavenly Father appreciates that. Your Heavenly Father is willing to enter into that tension with you. So here's my advice. Just bring all that with you when you pray. Because you see, if Jesus is correct, and I think he is, to opt for any other image or to opt for any other concept other than Heavenly Father, it may mean that you miss something. Perhaps it means you'll miss out on something. So he continues, he says, he says, Our Father in Heaven, and then here's the part we often skip, hallowed be your name. His point is this, that when we pray, remember he says, this is how you should pray. When we pray, we should pause and acknowledge who we are addressing. The great God who has no equal, no rival, the uncreated creator, who, by the way, has invited you to address him as father. Think about it. Infinite and intimate. And when we pray, we should pause right there. We don't, but we should. Heavenly Father, hallowed. Hallowed be your name. What an honour it is to address you directly, to know I'm known, to know that I'm heard, to know that you've considered me in a relationship with you. Now, let's be honest. It's difficult to do that in traffic, isn't it? Difficult to do that when you're busy. This is why Jesus began the way he did. You want to know how to pray, he says. You've got to get alone. You've got to get quiet. You need to create some space to appreciate what's taking place. Don't just say your prayers. See, here's the bottom line. When we pause, and this is so important, when we pause to reflect on who God is, we gain a better understanding of who we are and why we're here. We gain a better understanding of the relationship between the creator and the created. This is the place in prayer where we recenter. This is where we regain our bearings. This is where we remember the broader context of our lives, our little lives that are, well, they're only maybe significant, not because of what we can accomplish or how long we live. They're made significant because of whose image we bear and whose children we are.
And if you skip over that, if you rush that, you'll be tempted to skip over and rush by what follows. In fact, you'll resist what follows, and what follows is why we pray. What follows is the purpose of prayer. It explains why you need, to, uh, need a place and a time, why you need to choose your door, close, why you need to close your door or, or walk outside to get away from the things that distract you, the pressures and the responsibilities that, that leave us with the impression that this is all there is, that, that we, are, we ourselves are all that matters. When we rush by addressing who God is, basically, prayer reduces God to a good luck charm. Prayer becomes a reflex, sort of a, a, a last glance in the mirror before leaving home, a wish-me-luck before a presentation or an exam. If we don't begin by experiencing some sense of awe, our Father in heaven, creator of all things, great is your name. Skip that. And what he says next will be lost on you. It's why what follows really ever shows up in our prayers. It's why our prayers, I think, are so predictable and oftentimes so ineffectual. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Here's my list. Got to run now. Now back to Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, teach us how to pray like you. Okay, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, yeah, right, got it, Jesus, love it. So, so we won't pray to show off prayers. We won't do that. Uh, we won't keep repeating the same thing over and over as if God doesn't already know what we need. We're going to pray to God and not to you. And we're going to address God as our Father. Um, so, so, so what's next? Is this when we ask for stuff? Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What? what? Your kingdom, your will? I mean, what about my kingdom, Jesus? What about my will? What about my family, my job, my health? What about my fears? What about my bills? What about the child that won't talk to me? I mean, what about me, Jesus? To which I think Jesus would smile and say, yeah, well, I've already covered that. For your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Oh yeah, I forgot that bit. So I don't need to start with all that. And Jesus would say no. You see, when we pause to think about who we're addressing, when we pause and acknowledge who we are actually talking to, what else is there to say other than, Lord, you first, your agenda, your kingdom come, my kingdom can wait. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. His point is the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to align or realign ourselves with God's will, with God's purposes. The purpose of prayer is to surrender our will, not to impose it. Heavenly Father, before I ask anything, I want you to know that what I want... I want what you want. Your will be done. See, prayer is not about moving God, but being moved by God. It's not about convincing him to do our bidding, but allowing him to get us to the place where we are willing to do his. 
In fact, this is the very thing we find Jesus wrestling with in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was arrested. Father, he prays. Father, I dread this. I, I don't want to go through this. There's, there's nothing about this I'm looking forward to. Yet, Luke twenty two forty two. yet not my will, but yours be done. And here's what's interesting. Do you know what hung in the balance of his willingness to submit to the agenda of his heavenly father? In fact, more to the point, do you know who hung in the balance? You did. I did. We all did. The world did. Jesus, in this moment, as he's teaching his disciples to pray, teaching us to pray, Jesus is inviting us to pray and to live as he prayed and to live as he lived, submitted to the will of his heavenly Father. To be blunt and to maybe just be a little bit personal, according to Jesus, if we pray with any other posture than a posture of submission to his will, his agenda, we ain't praying right. We aren't doing it right. Now, in our culture, we don't bow to anyone. Well, maybe the Queen, if we met her. But, but Jesus says you should bow out of gratitude that you can address your king as father. We should bow out of recognition that his will should be done, even if it conflicts with ours. And isn't it true? We usually skip that part in our prayers. And I'm like you, I get this. I've got my own little kingdom. I've got my own will for my own life. I have an agenda of my own. And Jesus assures us that our Heavenly Father knows all about our, our fragile, temporary little kingdoms. So, so we don't have to start there. In fact, we shouldn't start there. Heavenly Father, your agenda before mine, your kingdom, a, a kingdom, a kingdom fueled by a new command, a kingdom where what's best for people is what's best because they are your image bearer as well. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here, right now, right now in my life, in my family, in my relationships, with my resources and my community on earth as it is in heaven. Now here's the thing. And this is Jesus' point. Until we get there, until our wills are surrendered to his, what's the point of continuing until our wills, to the best of our knowledge, are surrendered to his? Aren't we just, aren't we just users? Aren't we just consumers? Doesn't it basically reduce God to kind of like a, a cosmic vending machine? Or an app? I mean, if you quit praying because God didn't answer your prayer, as legitimate as your prayer was, maybe, maybe the healing of a friend or, or a parent, so you quit praying because God didn't answer your prayer and then you just gave up on God altogether, what does that say about your view of God? You assumed unanswered prayer said something about God, but really... It says something about your view of God. If there is a God, God should answer my prayer. God didn't answer my prayer. 
my very legitimate prayer. So clearly God doesn't answer prayer. God doesn't care. I'm not even sure God is there. And you know what? That's understandable. It's understandable if God is simply a favour distributor. If God is simply a divine healer waiting to be summoned or a lifeguard waiting to be called into action. But what if Jesus was correct? What if God, your Heavenly Father, is more than that? What if he's none of that? What if his plan includes you, but it's bigger than you? Includes you, but it doesn't centre on you. What if prayer doesn't begin with asking? What if prayer begins with recognising and submitting? What if we're to begin by remembering who God is and who we aren't? So his will takes priority over ours. And to just press this a little bit further, the reason, and I know this is personal, and you might be right in the middle of a situation like this, the reason you find yourself from time to time praying or or trying to pray your way out of a situation, the reason you find yourself in that situation from time to time is maybe because you don't begin your day this way. You don't begin your prayers this way. You don't begin surrender to your Father's will. So so you and we and I, we get our unsurrendered selves into situations we can't get ourselves out of, situations we could have avoided if we had begun the day, continued the day, thy will be done. And then, even when you find yourself in a mess that you created yourself, how do you pray? It's still about you, isn't it? Help me, save me, rescue me. And God does hear those prayers. But but here's the thing, and here's Jesus' point. Your Heavenly Father would like to help you avoid those prayers. And you avoid those prayers by beginning your day surrendered to his will. This is why we pray. So so I have a suggestion. Between now and next time, and and next time we'll get into more details of this prayer, but between now and next time, I want you to try praying this way, the Jesus way, alone, undistracted, informal, short. Begin by addressing God as Father and take a moment to reflect on his greatness and his goodness to you, his closeness, the fact that he is infinite and yet intimate. And then tell him that his deal, his agenda, his kingdom is going to be your priority all day long. In fact, use Jesus' words. Your kingdom come, your will be done right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done right now, right here. I am happy to participate. And if, you're, and if that is a sticking point for you, you're not quite ready to say, thy will be done in my life before you even know what his will is. That is okay. You just learn something really important. So pause there and identify what's keeping you from praying, thy will be done. And I'll give you a clue. It's usually fear. Fear of losing something. Fear of having to give something up. Fear of having to give somebody up. 
fear of being left out. But you know what? Discovering that is a progress. Uh, you've just identified where God wants to work in your life. Perhaps you've identified where God is trying to rescue you from a God help me prayer later on. If you can't honestly pray, thy will be done in my life, pay attention to that attention because that's why we pray. So does prayer work? Well, this kind of prayer always works. It always works on us and ultimately always works for us because it puts us in our place. Praying like Jesus will determine the length of your prayers because the length of our prayers are often determined by the condition of our hearts. Think about this. Jesus prayed for maybe 20 seconds before giving Lazarus back his life. But he prayed all night before laying down his own. And in both cases, Jesus, Jesus already knew what God's will was. But in one case, he needed more time to get there. And he did. And of course, we're so glad that he did. So this week, when you pray... Pray like Jesus instructed us to pray. Start with your Heavenly Father, not you. Start with your Heavenly Father and declare his greatness and then surrender your will. Declare his greatness and then surrender your will. That's how you pray. And we'll pick it up next week with more details. Let's pray. And our Father God, we just thank you that Jesus knows how often we, we struggle with prayer. We know it's something we should do. It's something that Jesus encourages us to do. Time and time again, he encourages us to pray. But he knows and he knew the tension that we face of praying in the right way. Lord, forgive us when we, very often we see prayer as kind of like a, well, like a cash machine where we, we want to put the right pin in so we get what we want where we're often so busy, we often kind of slip in a, a prayer here and there when we remember. Forgive us, Lord, of, that we don't come and recognise who we're actually praying to. That you are the infinite, great and mighty God, and yet you call us, you permit us to call you our Father, which shows the relational intimacy side of things. And so, Lord, help us get that balance right between recognising who you are, but also declaring and recognising the intimacy of the relationship that we can have. Lord, help us this week to pray the way Jesus instructs us to pray, that we might declare God's greatness and then surrender to his will. Please help us, we pray, that it's about him and his kingdom. It's not about us or our so-called kingdom. It's all about his work and his kingdom. For his glory we pray. Amen.